Today's show brought to you in part by our friends from the Breeders' Cup. Saturday has a huge slate of Breeders' Cup Challenge Series win and you're in races between Del Mar and Saratoga. The Longines Classic has two win and you're ins with the Jockey Club Gold Cup from Saratoga and the return of Flightline in the Pacific Classic at Del Mar. Also covered are the Del Mar Handicap win and you're in for the Longines Turf and the Flower Bowl win and you're in for the Maker's Mark Philly and Mare Turf. All winners will receive entry fees paid by the Breeders' Cup, a $10,000 award to the nominator, and a $10,000 travel allowance for horses stabled outside of Kentucky. You can find coverage on NBC, Peacock, and FanDuel TV, and you can hear all about these races later this week on Horse Player Happy Hour, our In the Money Media partnership with the Breeders' Cup, and elsewhere on the In the Money Media Network. In the Money Players Podcast. This is our show for Monday, August 29th. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you at the little house on the east side, back in my office in the garage. The guests have left. Travers weekend, there's always that sort of little bit of an air going out of the balloon routine that happens on this uh, early week, but we'll get it back up and running. Six days to go left in this Saratoga meet. And uh, you'd feel like we were in the middle of it if you were here today. 90 degrees and it feels like that weather we were having early on. Unbelievable how fast it's all gone. And a man, speaking of things that happened, came and gone very quickly. Nick Tamaro's visit to Saratoga. I hardly got to see the man. It was just such bedlam. But we bring him in now from InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Nick, how are things? The good thing is you get to talk to me all the time. So seeing <laughs> me in person is just a, just a bonus. But no, it was a great time. It was a lot of fun and a lot of hospitality extended my way. I'm appreciative of everyone who did so. And it was my first trip up in four years. So it will definitely wow. be. Yeah. And talk about the time flying by. I couldn't believe it. Um, in fact, it had been five years since uh, since our mutual friends, Philly Joe and, and uh, Jack Jenkins, rented a house the weekend of Hurricane Harvey. And so I got stuck for a couple of extra days on my way home. But um, yeah, it will not take four years to get back, especially not with our Mutual friend, Dr. Graham's digs on Phyla Street. It'll make things a lot easier. <laughs> no doubt about it. No doubt about it. What was the high point of your, your trip with all the hospitality extended? What what'd you like the best? Uh, you know, we had a really good time with um, the crew that he owns Knee Deep in Snow with on Saturday around the race. Of course, the horse didn't run well, but, you know, you run 20 to 1 shots in grade 1s. You're not terribly surprised when they run last so that was a really good time and catching up with some of the people i hadn't seen in a bit and hadn't talked to quite as much was always good too so i, I actually had not been to the track with the 1863 club built so i'd never seen it and um and then i, I got involved in something like a little hospitality related thing in the, the tree house on thursday so i got to see all the new spots so it was a lot of fun to be back at the track and though it was probably a few degrees warmer than i would have liked even i'm coming from a very warm climate um, it was still very enjoyable and and, uh, and a great time. Yeah, I, I bounced around. I ended up in the stretch area for most of Travers Day, and I loved it out there. I'm half thinking if there shouldn't be an In the Money Media uh, stretch box next year. We'll see if we can pull that off. Drew Cotney may slap my hand when I try to put my hand in the cookie jar for that one. We'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. But it was a fun Travers Day. The vibes were good. The plant was full, and we saw some great racing. We're going to get to all that in a minute, but I think maybe we'll start out west, and then we'll come back 
and talk about Saratoga. And the race out west, I want to talk about, of course, the Pat O'Brien Stakes win and you're in action for the Breeders' Cup Sprint. And Speaker's Corner went out there, a heavy favorite. Interesting decision to send him out west with the race that uh, he potentially could have run in out of his stall. And I'm not sure they're going to be thrilled with that decision the way it turned out. He checks in no better than fourth with Laurel River getting the win, earning a very big buyer speed figure in the process. And this is a horse that uh, if he continues on the upswing, going to definitely be in that conversation for the Breeders' Cup Sprint. That was a 108 buyer speed figure earned by Laurel River. Let's start with the winner. Did you like this horse coming in and what do you think of him coming out? You know, I'll admit, Pete, I knew very little about him coming in. Um, He had run just once in uh, 2022 prior to this race, and it was a good good effort. He wanted a mile, and I think Bob Baffert was kind of looking for more distance possibilities for him in uh, in his next start and ended up going to the Pat O'Brien at seven-eighths, figuring the cutback couldn't hurt, but it was a real class test, and I thought he passed it very nicely. You know, it's no surprise to see a, a Baffert horse take an appreciable step forward sort of at a moment's notice. And um, and so I, I wasn't terribly shocked by the effort. I was a little surprised Speaker's Corner ran as poorly as he did. Um, I, I wonder if maybe, I don't know, he's a tough one to handle, right? Because there was a part of you that was kind of hoping he'd run well and it kind of builds up the a, a bit of the, the mystique of both flight line and life is good, who probably don't need much more of it. But you wonder if maybe, maybe he made his bones when the competition was softer and now that things have gotten tougher, he's really getting exposed a bit because, you know, you watch the first half of that race and you really didn't think that he was just going to capitulate so readily. I mean, he was, he was just here and gone in no time. So I was disappointed by that. I I expected more and uh, maybe he'll, he's a horse that either has had something go wrong or is going to need some time off or something like that. But um, you know, hats off to Laurel River American theorem came back and, validated his uh, his win in the Bing Crosby. I would imagine that this race will yield more dirt mile starters than Breeders' Cup sprint starters. I think that you could already kind of hear Bob Baffert leaning that direction, given the, uh, the, the distance preference on the winner. Yeah, that makes sense. And that might make sense for Speaker's Corner, too. It's going to be a funny shuffling of the chairs, and I can hear myself grumbling already about how the dirt mile takes such a chunk out of two of what I consider the more important Breeders' Cup races in in the Sprint and the Classic. But of course, this year in particular, those decisions and who goes where, very much all of a jumble because we still don't know what's going to happen with the two that would be, well, they now have company at the top of the market for the Breeders' Cup Classic. We'll get there. But this idea that life is good or flight line, I mean, if you were to make an odds line on which Breeders' Cup race they they were going to, those two were going to end up in, um, it would be a competitive market, I would think, between the classic and and the dirt mile already. And if you see those gorillas showing up in there, that might change the opinion of a, of a speaker's corner or a, or a Laurel River in terms of where they show up. So, I mean, I think it's fair to say there's going to be some musical chairs as far as the race selection goes at the Breeders' Cup. I think so. Yeah. And, and again, it is part of the frustration with the dirt mile, but you know, the dirt mile right now could go from being a race that's headlined by, you know, Laurel river and, and, and I don't know, highly motivated to a race that could be headlined by Jack Christopher and life is good. Right. So, I mean, it could be, and it could be anywhere in between. Um, I, I think, and, and I don't have, I don't have any market on it. I don't think I would even, even make one on it, but 
I think life is good is going to be in the dirt mile. That's just my, I just kind of feel that in my gut. And, um, and I think that we'll see a little bit of that play out this coming, you know, the next few weeks, um, maybe the next six weeks, because we'll need to see all the way to his next start around two turns. So yeah, it could be any kind of race. And, and it is sort of fascinating in that respect, because uh, there's still so much that's out there. And so much of what's going to happen at that event really hinges on one performance coming up this Saturday. It's going to be very exciting to see what Flightline does. If he continues to do Flightline-like things, yeah, the deck chairs may well get uh, get completely rearranged with some of these other targets. If he doesn't want to go that far, I think the, the, the life is good sort of officially stated plan that I, too, have a gut feeling might not come to fruition. It starts to make a lot more sense, though... We have a new horse to talk about. I mean, he was already a contender for the Breeders' Cup Classic. But now, and we could do our buy-sell-hold on this horse right here when we talk about the Travers Stakes. Epicenter at 5-1, to one, it starts to look pretty good. I held fire. I didn't nibble at it yet because I decided I want to see what happens with Flightline. And I know that's going to shorten up potentially considerably if Flightline doesn't do well. But I just decided to take that price now was almost um, potentially too tied in with what was going to happen to Flightline to make it like enticing enough. But let's just talk about this Travers. Uh, how good was Epicenter on Saturday to you? Oh, he was damn good, right? I mean, he was he was about as as good as you could have hoped. You know, wanting him to really assert himself as the the dominant three-year-old. And, and I don't mean to sound unfair in saying that he really hadn't. I think the Jim Dandy served notice to everybody that he kind of went on from the spring. And and I think the little time off really did him well. And and I mean, in this race, Peter, he traveled like a winner for 10 furlongs. I mean, he, he broke well. He was always within range. And, you know, we've seen him take that, that pocketed position on the rail and then switch out and go on with it in the past already sort of a carbon copy in a way of the trip that he had in the Louisiana Derby. And um, I mean, when he was asked to go around the far turn, the response was very quick. And, you know, one of the things about the Saratoga main track that we've touched on a little bit throughout this meet is that it's just not a surface that everybody's handling. It's pretty clear. You know, you're seeing these tremendously gapped out margins in grade one races and, in, you know, in top flight races. And it's because it is a deep and demanding, tiring surface um, I, maybe it wasn't so much on Saturday, and, and I don't know if maybe that could have affected some of the horses that had grown accustomed to training over it. But, I mean, there's a, a period between the 3 eighths and 5 sixteenths in this race where early voting is beginning to spin his wheels, and Epicenter is asked to go by Rosario, and he just inhales the field. I mean, and he's in front of Cyberknife at that point at the quarter pole pretty easily, and, I mean, it's all over but the shouting. This is a very, very talented three-year-old who I think now has made it clear who's the boss. And, um, and everybody else sorts themselves out after that. If I ask you the buy, sell, hold five to one for the Breeders' Cup Classic, what are you doing? I mean, so he was seven and a half to one in the last future pool. I would imagine that because of the recency bias, he's going to go down in this race. However, much of it will depend on what happens with Flightline because Flightline was five to two in this pool. So, you know, I want to I, I buy at five to one. I'm, I'm a 100% buy. I think five to one is uh, it's going to be virtually impossible for him to be more than that in the gate because a, he's not going to run again. And, and worst case scenario in terms of whether that's value 
is Flightline wins Saturday? And I mean, there's no way he's running again before the Breeders' Cup. The poor thing can only run every 10 weeks. <laughs> and um, and then Life is Good, you know, Life is Good wins the Woodward and he finishes the Woodward like, you know, like he's dying for that 10th furlong. Then those two go in the gate probably at or around two and three and Epicenter becomes a clear third choice. Yeah. So he's still probably in that scenario around five, you know, looking at it from a bigger picture in terms of who could drive some of those prices down. I mean, looking through this field of horses that also were in this pool, you know, this Saturday's jockey club gold cup will go a long way towards contributing. American revolution was 32 to one in the first future pool. He's obviously going to run the jockey club gold cup. His table made dynamic one was 62 to one. And I will admit that I made a future bet on dynamic one. I thought 62 to one was absolutely insane. Um, first captain is was 65 to one. I'm sorry, 60, 69 to one. I also made a future bet on him too. Cause I thought that was equally insane and they'll probably run second and third. So, um, <laughs> you know, but looking through the field, right. Olympia, his price has now skyrocketed and, um, you have Royal ship. Well, what happens in the Pacific classic will go a long way. Mandaloon was pretty much out. Olympia is in the jockey club gold cup. So, so much is going to happen between now and a week from now. And maybe when you and I recap next week, we can revisit this conversation yeah. because there probably is a bit a big part of it. But I think no matter what, and, and I'm belaboring this point, I think no matter what, when push comes to shove, Epicenter goes in the classic gate at less than five to one. Yeah, I think you're making good points that buy is the right answer. Let's talk about divisional honors because, of course, this is, as we made much of on the show, the first grade one for Epicenter. I've been chatting a lot online and offline with Tyler Wisman about scenarios for other three-year-olds to still be able to get this honor. And, and there's really, while Epicenter is clearly the leader to be the champion three-year-old, uh, this division is still far from over, in my opinion, depending on what happens with honors like uh, Cyber Knife. Even Taba has a path to get there. Tyler was trying to make the point that maybe Jack Christopher even had a path to get there through the sprint route. I think there's too much prejudice against sprinters for that to happen. I think Epicenter's probably already distinguished himself um, too much to, to lose out to a sprinter in the three-year-old category. But it, but it feels like we are, we are narrowing down. Epicenter looks really good for it. But yeah, I wouldn't anoint him just yet. I mean, he still only has the one grade one, and there's some serious rivals with more grade ones. Now... You can make the argument that those spring grade ones aren't like proper grade ones. And I have a no real issue with somebody making that statement. They're obviously not the best horses overall because they're, first of all, obviously restricted to three-year-olds, but, you know, so is all Epicenter's body of work, but then also the regional nature of them. But I don't know, come awards time, if one of those horses that has extra grade ones ends up with another valuable prize like the Breeders' Cup Classic. I mean, they're going to win the three-year-old. They're going to win the three-year-old honor, um, even if not horse of the year. So what, what is your view on what's likely to happen with the three-year-old honors from here? I mean, I think he's, he's 90%, if not a little bit more than that, because the, you know, the three-year-old, the three-year-old that potentially holds some, I, I guess, what you what you're looking at and, and the best description for me would be, you know, I don't like to use the term backdoored, but I think he would kind of be backdoored by a horse like Taba. 
if Table were to win the Awesome again or the Pennsylvania Derby and the Breeders' Cup Classic. Yep. And the comparison point there is um, Beholder and Princess of Silmar. So Beholder and Princess of Silmar, Beholder didn't run basically the whole middle of the year, came back, won a grade one, won the Breeders' Cup Distaff. Princess of Silmar won every single important three-year-old filly race of the year and didn't win and beat older horses. So it can happen. And believe me, it can happen. And just because the Colts are more high profile doesn't mean that it can't happen. So, um, you know, it seems unlikely, but Cyberknife wins the Pennsylvania Derby and wins the Breeders' Cup Classic. I don't really think he's going to go to the Classic, but, you know, in that scenario, he'd be one and two against Epicenter, but he won the important one. He could win, right? He, he could, they, he would get plenty of support in that scenario. Other than maybe those are the two that kind of stick out. I just, I think the voters are, as you alluded to, I think they're very prejudiced against sprints and turf, rightfully so. And so I think that pretty much disqualifies Jack Christopher, who, yeah, I mean, when all is said and done, could have a campaign where he wins four grade ones and doesn't win a divisional honor. And, you know, I mean, that's kind of just, them's the breaks, right? right? Come back as a four-year-old and win the, win the sprint award. So I still think there's actually a pathway for him to win the sprint title too. I think if he went, if he were to win the Breeders' Cup Sprint, obviously, I think the voters would would reward his Woody Stevens and King and uh, Alan Jerkins and Breeders' Cup Sprint, and I think they would give it to him over a horse like Jackie's Warrior, who probably did a lot more. And maybe I'm being a tad unfair, but he did a little bit more to tarnish his his entire campaign Saturday by losing than than you would you would really think in the initial aftermath. We're going to get to those other races, but before we leave the Travers, I want to talk about some of the other efforts in here. I was impressed by Cyberknife in, in defeat in the sense that he looked to me like he was going to get swamped and stuck on pretty well um, for, for for second in there. So uh, I, I wanted to, to give him a little bit of credit in, in a scenario where uh, you know, he looked to me like the other horse. He liked like, to me, to the market, to most of the world, and uh, and actually ran pretty well. I don't know what turns the table in a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic, but you know, these five and a half lengths is a lot to find. But Keeneland, a very different racetrack, so who knows? So, what, what do you think about Cyberknife going forward? Yeah, a track that that Brad Cox admittedly has had much more success at than Steve Asmussen over the years. But you know, I don't think that's because Steve can't win there. Um, I just I don't think I don't think Cyberknife is going to beat Epicenter at a mile and a quarter at this stage. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to take a you know a really maybe extreme pace scenario where they go very quick and Epicenter's too close and Cyberknife rates. I don't think that Cyberknife was hurt terribly much by being put. I think he was actually helped by being put on the lead. I think it was a very good ride by Florent Giroux, and I think Brad Cox felt the same way. He kind of said that in a, in one of the stories I read. Um, how much do you think this horse held off held them off for second? versus Zand and, and, and Rich Strike just really hanging. I thought it was probably 50-50, and I, and I had a big 6-1 exact uh, um, chalky dog that I am, but I thought that <laughs> thing paying basically 19 bucks was incredible value. Wow, and I remember saying good. to myself, yeah, I remember saying to myself, I'll take 8.5 to 1 on an even money shot over a 9 to 2 shot in what, what clearly looked like the two best horses in the race. So, um, yeah, I think I, that's kind of how I would rate that part of it. Going one one slot back, Zandon is like an unbelievable cutback. Yes. I mean, if he could just cut back in the Vosburg and there's a speed horse in there, it's seven eighths now. This horse is dying to go seven furlongs. I mean, he's dying. He got a great ride too. Flavian Pratt saved all kinds of ground. 
Um, I don't think there was much of an issue with being inside on Saturday and, um, and he finished well, he's just his two mile and a quarter races. And even his mile and an eighth race in the gym dandy, they look the same, right? He makes a move to get himself into contention. And then he just, he can't like, he can't get the ball in the net. You know, he can't fit. He doesn't have that punch. And, and the problem also is that if you start turning him into a deeper and deeper closer, and you're sending him two turns, you're making his job so much more difficult. So that's why, you know, if not the Vosberg, then the Kelso, and put him on a route to the Cigar Mile, and I think this horse could just terrorize those races next year, like the the Carter, the Churchill Downs. I mean, I think he's even met mile caliber, to be honest. I think he'll improve, too, when he starts going the right distance. That's very, very interesting. And on his blood, what you're saying also makes sense. Yeah, it's a total sprint pedigree. Exactly. Right. Did Rich Strike do anything to earn your respect? You one of the more, even more vocal critic of the horse than me, which is hard to do. But I personally was, you know, from a speed figure point of view, he, he didn't look like a bum. He just looked like he's in a good generation and he's not as good as the best of them. But, you know, he, he didn't. It, it made it seem like he is more than capable of winning the right graded stake again, if not a grade one. He didn't embarrass himself. And, and I don't remember where I, it was one of the, 37 places I was asked, you know, to, to say something about the Travers beforehand. And they asked me for a price horse that could get a piece. And I said, rich strike. And, and mainly my thought process on it was that he's just going to run one speed around there. And even if they're pulling away from him, he can clunk up for, you know, for third or fourth pretty easily. Um, you know, Pete, it's going to be one of those results that just sort of always exists in La La Land. It's just, it's never going to be, you're never going to really be able to explain how the hell that horse beat them. It was it was courtesy of maybe, you know, one of the most unbelievable rides you'll ever find, some incredible circumstance. I mean, this horse is is legitimately five lengths worse than Epicenter, as we saw on Saturday, yet he beat him when it mattered in the Derby. And um, and so at least I think we can we can respect him a little bit more. He'll always deserve some respect as the Derby winner, period. But yeah, he definitely didn't embarrass himself. And um, and I think he'll there's probably there's probably a race out there with his name on it. You know, I, I don't remember one of the guys and I were talking about it Saturday night and they said, you know, what would you do if you, if you owned rich strike next year? And I said, I would dance every dance. I'd take him to Dubai. I'd take him, I'd run him in the suburban. I'd run him at 10 furlongs as often as I could. And you know, he's still the derby winner. I'd run him. I'd run him as frequently as I could. All he could do at this point is sort of justify why he deserves a stud deal because everybody doubts him already. Right. So, you know, you're almost playing with house money. There was that insider line, mean insider line after the Derby. I asked what his potential was as a stallion and was told that he would stand at the Kentucky Horse Park. And we, we, it remains to be seen. I'm feeling, more, I'm feeling more like that may be too cynical of a view. We shall see. But the fact that he you know, earned a better figure than the Derby, I don't think that was something I thought he was capable of before the race. So I, I think you know, props are due at least in, as, far as, uh, as far as that goes. Let's move on to some of this other racing, Nick, because we do not have as much time as we sometimes do on these shows. We'll go back to the Sword Dancer. And this is one where... You know, thank goodness for 
that I, 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 as a player, get to do these shows and talk to smart people all the time about racing because I wasn't going to use Goofo in my own reckoning of the race. But after talking to Paul Matisse on the Pro Player Roundtable show and hearing his case, and then also, crucially, hearing the opinion of Rob Dove, one of the top 10 pro punters in the UK today, who was all over the 7-1 to one that was widely available internationally on Goofo, I just said, I'm not letting these two guys – love a horse like this. And I, if I squint, I can see the excuses and wouldn't it just be like Gufo to go and win when so many of us are ready to give up on him. And I do think in some of these picks, he paid more like the seven to one internationally than what I thought was, you know, just the price four to one in the, in the paramutual. Um, it was, uh, it ended up, uh, it ended up saving my day that I listened to those two guys. So I'll give them props here. I, I would have whiffed on this one on my own for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, didn't listen to anyone. I, I listened to my own stupidity after, I think on this show about six weeks ago after he ran poorly at, at Monmouth, I said, at Goofo and I were done, and um, and and we were done all right. He was, <laughs> he didn't quit me, but um, I quit him. So uh, you know, and I saw him in a good spot when they came by the first time, and was like, God damn it. <laughs> you know, he's just too, he's you much closer, <laughs> he's much more engaged, exactly. And, uh, you know, but I felt like, oh, we've seen Christophe Clement before with this, this blinker nonsense, and it looks like he's losing confidence in the horse. And, you know, you had just seen Joel drop Clarier, whatever the hell happened in that race, which we'll talk about soon. But, you know, it felt like, oh, he's going to drop out again. There's not really that much speed. And he ended up getting a perfect ride. He got an incredible trip. And he's probably a little bit better at Saratoga than he is everywhere else. Um, but he's certainly good when he's going to get a pace to run at, which he did. And he parlayed that into another win. So, you know, he is a horse that we talk a lot about horses that may have been born in the wrong year. Gufo was really born in the right year because he's outlasted a lot of the horses from his crop, at least the turf horses. And it's really paying off because he's not, you know, he's no historical great but he's won a number of grade ones because he's been at the right place at the right time. Um, to, to me, the horse that you want to talk about from this race very, very clearly is Mirror Mission. Yep. Mirror Mission ran incredibly well. And, and I got to tell you, you know, we'll see what we end up getting from Europe, which I imagine almost any of them will be good enough to be favored in the Breeders' Cup turf. But Mirror Mission on kind of a spongy late autumn turf course at Keeneland that can get a little favorable for front runners. I mean, this horse ran pace figures on Saturday of 149 and 135 to start. He could have been on the lead for goodness sake. So, I mean, he, he ran extremely well. And when you consider that, you know, channel maker was last beaten about 20 and, and he was second early uh, Tribuven was sixth. He was beaten 10 lengths. You know, these are horses that got really touched up. And, um, and Mirror Mission ran extremely well to be second. Hats off to Ian Wilkes, who's now lost two grade ones with this horse by three quarters of a length. And I'm really hopeful that there's an opportunity for him to get one of them. This was just the classic move into a hot pace, trip angle, flow, move up, whatever you want to call it. When you see, you look at the chart and you just see how well this horse ran. You pointed out where the other speeds were. You can then also look at where the, where the winners came from. Yeah, Mirror Mission's an exciting option down the line for sure soldier rising this was a horse sean borman had talked about the finish that he had he put it to good use getting into third with a with a good trip 
Broom did that Aiden O'Brien in the USA thing, walking out of the gate, just no position, hellaciously overbet at three to two. You know, just one of those favorites when we were talking about him so positively. I think we were thinking five to two, three to one was able to avoid any further damage on on him in the spot. You have any further thoughts on any of these in the sword dancer? Not really. Um, I think those were kind of the principles. I mean, look, one of the shocking things about it is what kind of odds could you have gotten on Chad not being in the top five? Right. Uh, with the three horses that he had. And and, and I mean, granted, Rock Emperor um, and, and Tribuvin were price horses, but Adamo was definitely expected to run better. He was just dead empty around the turn, which uh, I found very surprising. But um, no, it was it was mere mission that I really wanted to highlight who, you know, clearly took a big step forward on the stretch out. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see these two presumably facing off again. I mean, evaluating them in ability terms going forward, I'm probably likely to prefer mere emission as well, assuming the prices are what I imagine they they would be. Let's talk about the personal ensign. You already highlighted one of the key storylines. You you the way you described it, you almost made it sound like you thought there was a tactical decision with Rosario there. I just thought Clarier looked like she wasn't Clarier. I mean, she did hit the gate, but I, I'm, she just she just wasn't off a yard, as the Brits would say. No running at any point in the race, you you would have laid anything out of the gate that you know um, she just she just did nothing, and it changed the race. the The speed um, situation that we had talked about as a potential materialized, but it was Malathot who was able to take advantage. I don't know where do you want to start. We can talk more Clarier, or you can go right to Malathot. Yeah, no, and to clarify what I was saying before a little bit, I, I don't think Joel made a tactical decision. I think Joel did something that Joel is notorious for doing, which he kind of lets a horse that's, that he has towards the back of the pack get into stride. And the problem was she never got into stride. Right. You know, she just never, she never picked up. I mean, there was a period of time during down the backstretch where when I was sitting with with uh, with Sean Borman and, and Jack and Philly Joe, and, and I said to Sean, I think she's going to get pulled off. Yeah. Because, I mean, she had fallen so far behind. We were sitting a little bit behind the gate. So probably just inside the 16th pole. And from our perspective, when she kind of got fractious in the gate, it looked like she really jarred herself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, hearing what the connection said afterwards about her, I guess, hurting her tongue. um, I think that's believable. And I'm a big skeptic when it comes to, to things that, that trainers say about, um, I mean, look, with all due respect, I figure most of them are lying. (laughs) <laughs> because I mean, they have no reason to be, but to be honest, you know, there's, we don't hold them to any kind of standard over here, but um, that felt believable. Right. I mean, it was just a, it was a, it was too bad to be believed. And, um, and so that, that, that part of it, as far as Clarier goes, I thought Malathot was done. I thought Malathot was done coming in. I thought Malathot was done at the quarter pole. Um, I, I thought Clarier was so much better than Malathot in the shoe V that there was just no way that she was going to turn the tables. And I guess I got my guard up a little bit when I noticed on the workout report that Malathot outworked Nest. And I thought, well, I mean, and I don't remember Malathot being like a super, super sterling workhorse. So that felt like a really good, a really good thing for her. Um, And in retrospect, the fact that she and search results were each three to one and the other two fillies were shorter. I mean, it made them the two horses to bet. I didn't bet them. I didn't. I, I keep Clarier with search results. So I mean, I I, I didn't bet Malathot, and and I'm I'm still a little surprised by how well she ran. But you know, it was a good reminder that Malathot is a really really talented horse, and and so I'm glad to see it. 
I think it makes for an interesting distaff. Um, this is a division that's actually been a lot of fun. We haven't had many horses in all the races, but they've all been really interesting. And uh, poor search results has run well enough now twice to be a, a multiple grade one winner. This is the third decision that she's dropped late to Malathot. Um, one of them was just for a minor with Clarier winning the Phipps. But um, yeah, it's just one of those things that happens when when your best distance is probably a little bit more like a mile and a 16th and you're continuously having to go a mile and an eighth. But nothing against the winner whatsoever. I'm interested to see that she is going to run again before the Breeders' Cup. Felt like Todd Pletcher kind of thought that maybe giving her a lot of time off last year after the Alabama was a little bit detrimental. And I thought it was interesting in the same piece that I, I read that Ness is going to run probably in the building. So um, I, I, I like I like Todd on the bandwagon of, hey, I want to run my horses closer to the Breeders' Cup. Probably. Because, uh, yeah, we've already we haven't said those dreaded three words that <laughs> we've already seen quite a bit train up to <laughs> there's going to be plenty of that in the pages of daily racing form and everywhere else between now and, and the big one search results also really had the misfortune i think latruska's presence in the race just made her job very very difficult in terms of when to produce the run and then how vulnerable that left and i think you make a good point about the extra 16th too what do we make of latruska she got fairly loose she ran pace figures she used to be able to run and uh, she went away rather tamely in the end still clocked in third but i think i, I just don't know i mean i understand the, the, how they campaigned her differently this year and they were trying to lead up to a peak effort in the Breeders Cup and I'm not saying it can't happen but it didn't didn't really look like Latruska of old did it no it, it didn't and and you know and I saw David Aragona tweet Saturday night that she ran a 101 buyer which is the same buyer that she ran in last year's personal ends and you know what I think it boils down to Pete I think it's actually pretty simple she's running against better horses now Right. It, she she feasted on a lot of, of soft competition last year. And, you know, I was thinking about this a lot and I went back and looked at some charts and was like, holy cow. I mean, you know, she dares the devil and, and Envoutant and, you know, horses like that. Those are those are lesser. Clarier, Malathot search results. Those are grade one fillies. Yeah. Right. Those are great. And, and what's the difference? Where were those three last year? They were all three. So they weren't yeah. running against her. So when she went a crazy pace and the personal ends in, you know, what what none of us really spent the time saying because we were all sort of lost in the, you know, in the glow of Latruska is that, I mean, it was a bunch of, it was a bunch of grade three horses that she was running with early. So the fact, and then it was a bunch of grade three horses running at her late. So now that she's got real quality horses running at her and you know when you put search results in the in the unenviable position of watchdog and she has to to get on your flank with three eights to go and you've got to quicken now and hold her off your job's tough right i mean that's a really hard thing to do so i think it's a matter i don't think latruska has gotten worse i don't think this has anything to do with them maybe not campaigning her as hard I think it simply has to do with the fact that she is running against better horses than she did last year, and the results bear that out. The FIPS is – I'll give her a little bit more of an excuse for the FIPS because she was particularly bad, and maybe something else went on that day. But, you know, she is based at Keeneland generally. I would imagine she'll run in the spinster. If she gets a start against Malathot in the spinster, and maybe she gets a little bit easier lead and we don't see, a you know, another top flight – female horse in that race it feels like the spot that clarier would probably go in you know maybe clarier ends up going to the to the bell dame um that'll be interesting 
right? It'll be interesting to see if maybe without the, the same caliber of pace competition, maybe she can summon up the courage to hold off a horse like, like Malathot. But at this point, to me, it just looks like the better competition is really catching up to, to Latruska. I mean, that's a totally fair point. Timeform sees it a little bit differently, but Timeform's also baking in upgrades for, for those paces. So those better Timeform runs, 126, 127, as opposed to whatever it was the other day, I think it probably came back. Let me actually check. 119, significantly different. But really, I'll bet you in terms of final figures, what what David's saying is, is just as true on, on time form as it is on the buyer scale. It's an interesting point about the strength of this. And you pointed out it's a fun division, and it's going to be really fun when we get to see a nest in the mix there as well come Breeders' Cup distaff time. Let's go back one race to the Jerkins where we saw Jack Christopher. We've talked about this race a little bit already. Um, he gets the job done, 128 on the time form figure. I think the buyer was a little lower. Do you, do you have the buyer at the ready? I can dig if not. 104, I think okay. is, the, is well, the number. Significantly, I mean, four points in, 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 a, in a part of the buyer feed, speed figure scale where that really means something. Uh, which of those which of those ideas, 108 versus 104, do you think is more reflective of you, what you think this horse's ability is going forward? I mean, I think the pace adjusted figure is much more important here because the pace was strong. So, um, you know, I think it's uh, look, I, I tweeted and I got some I got some some shocked replies and a little bit of snark, which I'm always comfortable with when I tweeted that uh, that I think Jack Christopher is better than Jackie's warrior. And I do. I, I do believe that quite firmly. Um, I thought Jack Christopher's race in the Jerkins was was terrific. He stalked Conagher who, yeah, I mean, Conagher might not be the same without Lasix, but I thought that Jack Christopher always had his measure. I thought he was just, you know, we've grown to, to see this horse other than the Haskell. He's just sort of routinely good. You know, he kind of, he's always within himself and he seems to switch off very well, which for a, a really high caliber fast sprinter is not the easiest thing to do. I think the only the only thing you could poke a few holes in this race with um, I think some of the other principles really didn't fire. Obviously, Conagher is not as good without Lasix. Um, Accretive was a total no-show. And, and Gunite put in a good run, no harm in, in the race that he ran. But um, I think that's that's the knock on Jack Christopher is what does he do when the horses that he's chasing are maybe of a, you know, a bit higher caliber? But until he meets that kind of scenario, you have to you have to acknowledge that He's a really good horse with a, with a lot of ability, and uh, he just seems to fire every time. On time form, your point, I think, is borne out, at least from Saturday, in terms of the relative of ability of Jack Christopher and Jackie's Warrior. We'll talk about the, the Jackie's Warrior race. Um, actually, I guess we can just talk about it now. Let, let's just pivot there and uh, and go right to the forego, where, I don't know, you see the fre- the half mile. I I know he, he, he didn't break... It's funny, it's not on the chart, but I thought he didn't break great. I thought he had to get used a little bit early. Am I, am I misremembering that? I mean, I didn't I didn't love the break for Jackie's Warrior, but then you see the blue-coated half in, in 45. He's supposed to win the race, isn't he? Oh, 100%. Yeah, no, this was let's, – let's not mince words. This was not a good losing performance by Jackie's Warrior. I, I understand he got a big buyer speed figure but he was never supposed to lose this race. I mean, this was a very, very moderate pace. Um, he was dueling with Pipeline, who, you know, is, is not exactly going to ever be confused for a, a grade one caliber sprinter. 
and um, and Cody's wish had basically every bit of the setup go against him and still pretty much inhaled him. Um, that that much I I think is pretty clear. The other thing on, on Jackie's Warrior, and, and I will admit, Pete, I was very very mad at myself afterwards for not being. I bought the hype. I bought the hype. I bought the, you know, oh, he was in hand last time and didn't even ask him to run. And, you know, and then you you have a result like this take place and you realize that if I, without looking at your PPs, if I had said to you, who's the best horse Jackie's Warriors beaten in 2022 so far? What was your answer going to be? Um, I'd have to look. <laughs> ba- baby Yoda, right? I mean. Is he, there's nobody know. better than, I mean, I was, th- I was wondering if there wasn't one better, but I'm not sure that there is. It, right, exactly. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it is not exactly a who's who. I mean, the second place finisher in in the True North was Sound Money, and Uriah St. Louis ran third with a sixty nine to one shot. Right, right. On Derby Day, he beat Reinvestment Risk, and and Reinvestment Risk is not ever going to confuse anyone for a Grade One caliber sprinter. So you know, here comes Cody's Wish, who is a is obviously a horse with talent, but you know he's not you're not expecting him to, to be able to beat Jackie's warrior. All things considered the, the answer to the question is probably Aloha West and or mind control. Okay. But you know, we we've not seen the 2021 Aloha West yet. Right. And mind control, you know, is, is not a, a grade one sprinter. So I feel like this is a situation where Jackie's warrior a did not have everything go his way set up. Well, that's not even true. He did have things go his way set up wise. He just had a horse on his flank and and B, he faced a somewhat legitimate horse, and that horse ran by him. So, yeah, I mean, I think that as good as he is and as admirable as it is that he's won grade ones in three consecutive years, I think there's a bit of paper tiger to Jackie's Warrior. And I think it's it's fair to say that at this point. And, you know, if you're ready to say, I'm betting this horse in the Breeders' Cup sprint, I don't care how much speed is in there, he is just going to be better than all of those horses, good luck. I do start to worry about, you know, Paper Tiger is the same idea as, as the flat track bullies. Something goes a little bit wrong and it's just very hard for him despite the immense talent that he has. And he can still put up an impressive figure on both scales. But when it comes to a race like the Breeders' Cup Sprint, it, it would be you could back him with a lot more confident confidence in the number he's going to be if he'd shown just a little bit more grit in his races. He overwhelms them with brilliance. But you know, as horse players, we all really appreciate those horses that, that can do it in a scramble. And I, I Jackie's Warrior hasn't earned that um, idea yet, has he? No, and, and, and maybe he hasn't. And maybe two things come of this. Maybe this was the battle that he needed to sort of, because Asmussen made the comment afterwards and said, he'll be ready when it, you know, he'll be ready in the Breeders' Cup sprint. And so to me, that means that, you know, Steve probably knows Maybe this horse is going to get trained a little bit harder. You know, he's going to send him to Keeneland very, very early to get start getting him ready. So there, there's a lot there that that I think you know Steve is going to find a way to build on. The other part of it is that, you know, I think that a lot of us got caught up in, in the ease with which he won all of these races this year. But then the race I've always had in the back of my mind with him was last year's Jerkins, where he ran so well. And it was like, okay, we know this horse can be like – really good i mean he could be he could be obviously among the best of of his you know half decade or so but he's really never run back to that on the speed figure scale on you know the visual scale whatever way you want to look at it he's really never run back to that 
And I wonder if that was a one-time performance that we'll just never get again. But I mean, I think that I just feel at this point, like this is a horse that is going to be a pretty clear favorite in the Breeders' Cup Sprint. And I mean, if we get any kind of decent sized field with some speed in it, I'm, I'm ready to take him on. Where do you, what do you think Jack Christopher's most likely Breeders' Cup target is? You're thinking, you're thinking dirt mile for him. I think dirt mile. Yeah. Um, if he was my horse, I'd run him in the sprint. No, no question about it. No hesitation whatsoever. Is that because you think, is that just because you like the race more or because you think he would be better at that? Well, the purse is twice as big, number one. Um, number two, I think that you probably do yourself more. I don't know. I don't know the breeding game. So I'm really talking out of my ass on this. But I think that, <laughs> that I think you do yourself more good winning the sprint than the dirt mile in, in terms of a, of a, a, a stallion catalog. Marketing your stallion, yeah. Yeah. The other thing is I think that his run, his, his speed is actually very conducive to six furlongs. I, I don't think six and seven – I don't think it very much matters with him. And and I don't really worry about, let's say it was a particularly fast-paced race, which I'm trying to think about all of these crazy fast horses that are out there that really don't exist. So, I mean, let's say there's some speedball that ends up going. Let's say Conacher goes, right? Well, you don't think Jack Christopher can sit right off of Conacher and win? Yeah. I mean, he did that He did that on Saturday. So Conacher ends up being a much bigger problem for Jackie's Warrior because Jackie's Warrior has never dueled with anybody and beat him, at least not since last year's Jerkins. So, you know, there's just – I feel like Jack Christopher is is just as suited to the six furlongs as he would be a two-turn mile. Now, if it was a one-turn mile, I would say the mile because I think a one-turn mile probably suits him even more. But um, I think in terms of what the races respectively offer up, at this year's configuration, I'd stay. I'd say in the spring. Wow, that's a great analysis. I think everything you're saying makes a ton of sense regarding uh, regarding him and his his Breeders' Cup prospects. Let's take a minute. Actually, one. I just want to say this out loud because maybe somebody will be listening and want to chime in. We got plenty of industry people who listen. That is such a good question to ask breeding industry people. Like what what the difference is in terms of you know how enticing you're going to be as a first year stallion. Does it make any difference? the dirt mile versus the versus the sprint or the classic do 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 are, are all breeders cup races created equal when it comes to a stallion page or is it sexier to win one of the ones that we as horse players and fans of the game clearly rate higher than the dirt mile so we'll we'll, we'll bring that up on another show let's go to sunday for a minute and talk about the other grade one of the weekend we just got a couple minutes left nick and i do want to talk about this ballerina Good night, Olive. The speed figures suggested she might be ready for the big time, and she proved it. She won this race uh, easier than I would have imagined. I mean, I gave her a chance, certainly. Uh, wasn't smart enough to pick her in the race, but certainly one with upside who who was very, very good. How good do you think she is? What's her ceiling? Yeah, boy, that, that came out of nowhere. I felt like I didn't think she was a viable win candidate at all. Um, I felt like we've seen a lot of these Chad Brown horses that – have kind of feasted on weaker competition and then stepped up and not really had the same kind of ability, but she ran great. She was very impressive. I think that this race was probably more about some of the no shows than, um, then, well, it's not, not more about that than good night. Olive. I want to acknowledge good night. Olive's performance, but you know, CC just never looked comfortable. And, and I do think you can attribute some of that to the racetrack. I think, I think that this Saratoga oval right now is really suited for some, but not for all. And, and she didn't run as well. Obligatory got a little bit too far back. Um, and, and I think that her problem is that you've got to commit with her. 
you know, and I think one of the reasons why, why she won the Humana Distaff this year is that Jose really committed to just taking her back and letting her make one run. He kind of used her a little bit early yesterday and she doesn't have any speed. So, you know, if you use her to stay close, you're really running the risk of negating that late run. So when he, when he really asked her and she got into a little traffic at the quarter pole, when he asked her, she didn't really quite have that same, you know, strong turn of foot. Um, you know, travel column pretty clearly was being used by Bill Mott. I don't want to say as a rabbit, but he wanted her forward to ensure there was pace. And she actually ended up running well to be fourth. So, um, you know, I think we'll see probably a good handful of these Phillies back in the Philly and Mare sprint, deservedly so, probably along with the, the likes of Bell's the One and, and some of the other Kentucky runners. And and, and it's, it's a good division. It's a fun division. I think we'll see, uh, you know, we'll see some good things as time goes by. But, um, yeah, I, I don't want to take anything away from Goodnight Olive. The track was a little weird. We didn't have enough dirt racing. I'm not going to say that it was uh, biased towards speed, but there were a few things throughout the day that just made me think it was hard to close, including um, the obligatory run. It, ju- ju- it just, I thought it was very good, and it just, to me, looked like she was like struggling a little bit to, to get involved in the way that will happen to a closer on a track that's kind to speed and I, I, you know, I'd love to hear the opinion of uh, some proper bias experts on that on that topic. But I, I was willing to give obligatory and CC. I think a little bit of a pass, but I don't know. Maybe I'm being too kind. I mean, CC in particular just struggled to get involved at at any point. I suppose that could be a case of when mares go wrong. But I'm just such a fan of hers. I don't want to give up on her just yet. What do you What do you think about CC coming forward? I agree. I don't want to give up on her either. Uh, I would give her another shot out of there. I don't want to hold a, a Saratoga dirt race against her. It was an uncharacteristically bad effort. I think that's why you probably could attribute it to something like the like the racetrack. I mean, she had been she'd been very good this year, especially you know the Princess Rooney was a obviously was against vastly inferior horses, but she ran extremely well. So yeah, I think we'll see better from her second off the layoff. I mean, admittedly, she ran second to Merneath off the layoff in the Santa Monica, and then I thought ran an improved race in the Azari. So we'll see if she ends up taking that step forward. I, I, I've i always liked this mare on the cutback, so I almost wonder if uh, if Michael McCarthy might consider sending her long one more time just to cut her back for the Philly and Mare sprint. And, and I think the draw hurt her as well. I think being inside and, and taking a lot of kickback on a a really deep and demanding surface. That's um, that's not really what the most ideal circumstance for her. Any other thoughts on this race, Nick, or anything else we saw over the weekend? No, I think we covered a lot of ground. You know, it's going to be. Uh, I'm I'm actually already looking forward to doing this show with you next week because we're going to have just so many specifically Breeders' Cup Classic type horses that are going to run over the weekend. But yeah, I mean, as far as the the Travers goes, it's the the crown jewel for the three year olds after the triple crown. And and I feel like epicenter is a really worthy winner. So I'm glad that he really took that big step forward. And I look forward to seeing him again in the classic. The Travers is a great race in that regard. I feel like we've been very fortunate that, you know, not every year, but so many years we get these performances that you just know you're going to remember everything about. I feel that way about epicenters win and hopefully he continues to show how good he is going forward. I'm a fan. You know, this was not a horse that I liked in the Derby. I thought he ran through a difficult situation to be a, you know, obviously a really good second there. And I've enjoyed 
being on the bandwagon instead of against him the last few times. We'll see what happens. We'll be covering it all here on the network. You can read Nick's work on Saratoga over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. If you want more from him, you can get his notebook if you sign up for our very reasonably priced plus service, InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash plus. Nick, we'll be talking soon. Sounds great, my friend. Look forward to it. Good uh, luck this closing week. And I'll be back right after this. Play in the largest Breeders' Cup betting challenge qualifier of the year on Thursday, September 15th. The Big Ten BCBC Handicapping Contest at Canterbury Park. You can play on-site or through ExpressBet or TVG. It's a $2,000 live bankroll, 1000 access your entry fee, and 11 BCBC entries plus cash are to be awarded. 100% of entry fees returned. This is Thursday, September 15th. Save the date. You'll be hearing more on this network. And for more information, visit CanterburyPark.com. Also, don't forget the weekend of September 17th and 18th, the nation's first and longest running live bankroll handicapping contest. Now in its 26th year, the Dog Days of Summer contest. This one's only on track at Canterbury. You win entries in that one for the National Horse Players Championship. Again, for more information, go to CanterburyPark.com. Next up on the show, there's a horse player I want you all to meet. You heard us last week talking fairly extensively about the Open Stable product and specifically the Epicenter Legendary Racing Prospect NFT. Well, the next guest is involved with the project as a consumer of said product. And he had a very interesting experience I think folks will enjoy hearing about. We welcome now to the In the Money Airwaves, Randy McLeod. Randy, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, pleasure to be here. Awesome to be on. Let me ask you this. How did you find about the project in the first place? Yeah, uh, good question. So I always wanted to get you know into the NFT side of things, but I'm like, you know, what do I buy? I'm not going to buy some stupid picture or something and have it not be you know worth anything and uh, worth my time, really. So I ended up, uh, I got an email um, from OpenStable probably, I don't know, it seems like maybe three or four months ago. And I'm like, wow, this is a perfect opportunity to, to get into this space. And I'm like, yeah, why not? I think uh, Echo Zulu was the first horse that I bought. And then uh, I think Epicenter was second. And I just said, well, this is great. I, I own NFTs. I own kind of like part of a horse maybe, you know. Um, so that was it. You know, and everything else fell into place from there. Very cool. So you decided to get involved. I'm sure you were attracted by the idea that this wasn't just a theoretical um, digital asset, but collected to the real world. And that's where your story from this past weekend that I want you to tell comes in. You were starting to tell me off air how it progressed from there. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, I, I live about about an hour and 15 minutes from uh, from Saratoga, and I've never gone to the Travers before. Um, always wanted to go, just really, you know, just never panned out. So I get an email from Open Stable that says, hey, you, uh, if you sign up for this giveaway, you'll be able to get paddock passes and uh, a chance to be in the winner's circle. And I said, well, I really can't pass this opportunity up. To me, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So I said, hey, I'll give it a shot. So I uh, signed up for it, and then I started looking for people that wanted to go, couldn't find anybody that wanted to go. I probably searched for probably, you know, 15 or 20 friends and uh, everyone's got something going on in the summertime, as you know. And uh, I had one friend that's like, oh, absolutely. I've never even been to Saratoga before. I said, well, this is perfect. We're going. 
if we get these paddock passes or we don't, we're still going. So uh, we really didn't know if we want them until about 9.30 on Friday. I get the email from uh, Open Stable and, and Lauren over there, and it was unbelievable. She's like, you won the passes? I'm like, this is amazing. So that that's how it, it basically all started, you know? That's great. I want to hear all about your day. First of all, you shouldn't have had to go 15 or 20 deep, though, to find somebody to go to the Travers with. You I, You may need better friends. I'm just going to throw that out there. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually already looking at uh, new friends right now. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll try to figure that out. <laughs> Tell me about the day. How did it, When did you make contact with the team and what all happened? Yeah, so um, we found out, you know, that, that I won. And I'm like, I, I know what the paddock is. I've never really been inside the paddock, you know. So for me, I'm like, I think this is a pretty big deal. Um, but I don't know, you know, much about it. Like, do you sit in there? You know, what do you really do? Had no clue. So uh, my buddy and I get there around 10 o'clock in the morning. And, uh, you know, everyone told us to get there super early. But the pack, the track wasn't, wasn't that packed. So I was kind of surprised we got in so quickly. But so I get in. And uh, we go and we sit down and um, I'm communicating with, with Lauren from Open Stable. And then um, Brian over there, great guy, gives me a, a text and a call and says, hey, I'll be there around, uh, you know, four o'clock and you can come and, and get your paddock passes. I'm like, all right, that's great. So sat there when my buddy had a few beers, of course. And uh, we he, he asked me, he goes, so, you know, did you pay for grandstand tickets? Like, like, how did you get? I go, I, I just paid for general admission. And he's like, oh, well, man, you only pay for general admission. So we ended up walking into the grandstand area. We got, you know, we went into there first. Um, just so I was ready if, if the horse, you know, if epicenter won. And uh, so, you know, we meet Brian at five o'clock. I get the passes and I'm walking around this place like I'm royalty. <laughs> um, I, I think I'm the only one in there, Peter, without, uh, a sports jacket on because that's one thing I didn't know. I mean, I looked it up and my wife was like, "You need to wear a sports jacket." So I said, "Oh hell, I'll uh, I'll bring one with me." But uh, forgot to bring it in, so you know, <laughs> we're we're the only two guys in there with no with no sports jackets on. But that's fine. No one seemed to really care. And uh, the, the the funny part about this is that so we're in the paddock area, and I didn't realize that the race was going to start so quickly, right? So my buddy, John, who I'm with, we, we he ends up going to the bathroom and he rushes out and I'm like, uh, the race is going on right now. So we like we run down to the track area and the race was over. And I'm like looking for people. I'm like, who won? Who won? And this guy goes, oh, the number six won. And I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> epicenter one. So now I get a chance to be. Wait, in you're the telling me you missed the Travers for a bathroom break. I wasn't in the bathroom. I was waiting for my buddy thinking, hey, you know, it's not going to go off right away. These races always take a little bit of time. Uh, yeah, not the case. So now we're like, I go, dude, I, I, we have to get down to the winner circle, right? So I, I just book it. I don't even know where my friend is. I just take off, right? So I take off. I somehow get onto the track. I get into the winner circle. My buddy John's already there with Brian. Brian's waving me in. Come on, come on, come on. So I get in there. We take our pictures. And again, just, just a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that without this company, without this NFT, I don't have a chance to do this at all. And so I was just so appreciative of everything that they did for me. And, you know, the best part of this story is, too, Peter, so – after the race, I I follow and I don't know who they are. Must be the owners. Could be I could be anybody into this secret room that I've never seen in Saratoga before. 
<laughs> and I just walk right in because, you know, I'm a uh, team. You're the, this is a, yeah, this is a deserved, yeah, part of the experience, right? Yeah, this, this is my horse, you know? So <laughs> I, I get in there. I've got my epicenter pin on. And right before we get into this private room, I kind of stop, right? Because I, I don't know who these people are. And I don't know if they're going to look at me and be like, what are you doing in here? Right. So I, I kind of just wait. And this lady, this older lady comes up to me and she sees my epicenter pin and she's like, Oh my God, I love your pin. And I'm like, I know, isn't it great that he won? Everything's awesome. So I go into this room and I'm drinking champagne with all these people. Not having a clue who they are. No idea. <laughs> had you had you ditched Brian and Lauren at this point? They were, were you just got sort of swept along with the flow. I just got swept along with the pro with, with that. I had no idea where Brian was. My buddy followed me in, and you know we're just sitting in this room. And I go, okay. It was like twenty minutes after drinking some of the champagne, and I go, uh, yeah, we uh, we should probably get out of here before you know we, we, it's too late. So we ended up just leaving and just you know being being on a high for. <laughs> ever since then it's just so, absolutely amazing i gotta hear more about what's going in your mind as you have this surreal experience and you're walking into the saratoga winter circle i'm like i'm not supposed to be here <laughs> um i don't really win too often at anything so you know this i i i um my mind is blown it's like why, why am i here i i should not be here i i gave a call to my buddies that are big horse racing guys and they're like what do you mean you're going in the paddock? What do you mean you're in the winner's circle? You're at the Travers and you're you're taking pictures in the winner's circle? I'm like, oh, yeah, and, uh, you know, I'm in this private room, too. And they're like, what's going on? And then I called my buddy today. I'm like, oh, I just wanted to let you know. And Peter Fornatelli called me up and uh, we're going to be doing a podcast. And he's like, you're what? <laughs> Even all my friends are like, who are you? You're like, you're this different man all of a sudden after one day of being at the Travers. That's fantastic. Oh, that's great stuff. And we're thrilled to thrilled to have you on and have you share that experience. I think it gives a good insight into the type of experiences available to you that are being provided by Open Stable. I assume it's a product and a collectible that you would recommend. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I just got the, the Jim Dandy trophy, uh, digital trophy, and I, I thought it looked spectacular. I, I texted Brian yesterday. I said, this thing looks awesome. He's like, yeah, yeah, just just wait for the Travers one. There'll be another one coming. Another yeah. one coming. You got to get the physical win photo. Have you put have you put in for that? Have you have you started that process? No, no, not at all. What, what do I need yeah. to do for that? I'll talk. Brian will sort you out. I bet. Nice. I mean, I think it's as simple as you, you know, reaching out to the the track photographer, and you know, that'll be another nice thing to have on the. Uh, you sound like someone who this is a day you're going to want to remember, and I think having that on your mantle might help. Oh my God, yes. I I, I don't think that I will ever ever forget this moment. <laughs> Fantastic. I will ask you for the basic stats I love to get for everybody who comes on the airwaves for their first time. Uh, how old you are, where you live in the world, and what you do for a living. Yeah, so uh, 46 years old. Uh, I'm out of Pittsfield, Massachusetts, and uh, I'm actually the IT director for a school system here in, uh, in Massachusetts. Very cool. Well, Randy, I'm so glad you've had a good experience with Open Stable. Folks who want to get involved can learn more. Open Stable. Dot io. Lots of great opportunities coming up, not just on the horse side, but also with the Jocks Room project we've been talking about. You'll find all the information over there. You can also look at Jocks Room. That's Jocks with a Z. Uh, 
Room.io and check it out. If you have questions, reach out to the team over there or holler at me. Happy to point you in the right direction. Randy, hope to have you on again soon. Maybe we'll get you playing some contests. You can win one of those. I want to see your name on the leaderboard in our horse player happy hour game on, on Thursday. You, oh, you, that would be amazing. You game to participate. I'll send you all. If you're, if you're not already involved, I'll send you all the details. That'd be a lot of fun, but really appreciate your help and your time today. That's great. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thank you to the guys at Open Stable. It was just, like I said, an amazing experience. And I appreciate every moment of it. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. We'd like to thank Randy McLeod and Nick Tamaro, as well as all of our sponsors. How about our founding partners, TRF, the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation, and also 10 Strike Racing. You know, around here, we love to roof the purple and the black. Thanks, though, most of all to all of you, the listeners, for making these shows so much fun to do. Reach out. If you got any questions, find me at Looms Boldly on Twitter or through the contact page at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Those come straight to me. If you want to support us, sign up for our free email, InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash email. If you want to go the extra mile and get extra content, check out InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash plus. Another thing you can do that's totally free that helps us out is to rate, review, and subscribe. Could be iTunes, could be YouTube, could be both, could be wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, those reviews are great. They help other people find the show. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatel. May you win all your photos!